In our study of God's covenants in Scripture, and uh, in the last couple of sessions of God's covenant with Noah, we've touched on quite a few important ideas. And so what I want to do in this last session on God's covenant with Noah is review uh, the main ideas and then also relate this whole covenant to the future as uh, various scriptures teach us we should do. So uh, we first of all talked about God's uh, covenant uh, connected with Genesis 5 verse 29 and the naming of Noah and also Genesis 6 verses 18 to 21. And I think there were three main ideas that came out of those passages. First of all, there is the idea of rest. And we're going to be seeing that this idea of rest is very important in the covenant. Became becomes a, a dominant theme, in fact, in God's covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai. Here it is rest from the toil of our work because of the cursed ground. God says in this covenant with Noah that he will never again curse the ground for man's sake. That's the first theme then that we touch on, and it's a theme that continues all the way to the end. The second theme is that we have here in the flood a victory of the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman was severely threatened by the wickedness of the world and the apostasy of the uh, men from the line of the seed of the woman to the point that there were only eight left who served God anymore. And by the flood, God destroyed the seed of the serpent and gave victory to the seed of the woman. He delivered the seed of the woman from the seed of the serpent. This is a constant theme also throughout all of God's covenants in the Old Testament. And finally, we have in relation to this an idea which we've not really talked about before, but an idea which is important, and that is that the fulfillment of the promise for Noah came in the way of his obedience. God told him, I make my covenant with you, but then God gave him commandments about building the ark, about provisioning the ark, about bringing the animals into the ark, and finally bringing his own family into the ark. It was in the way of Noah's obedience to these commandments then that he received the fulfillment of the promise of God. So those were the themes, I think, that we saw in Genesis 5, 29 and 6, verses 18 to 21. But in chapters 8 and 9, where God makes a second covenant with Noah, we have some additional themes that are also important. One of those additional themes is the necessity of blood. Now, this whole idea of the shedding of blood was important before this. It's kind of implied in the promise to Adam and Eve when God says the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent and the serpent will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. Blood is implied in that as later scriptures make it very clear. But blood was also uh, part of this covenant of God as we see in Genesis chapter 4 when Abel is offering sacrifices We don't read that God commanded these sacrifices, but these sacrifices were not invented by men. 
This had to have been by the command of God, and we have then in connection with that first covenant of God after the fall, uh, the shedding of blood. The shedding of blood is necessary for the establishment of God's covenant. Sin has to be dealt with before God can enter into relationship of friendship and love with us. But it's more explicit here. We find Noah offering a sacrifice immediately after coming off the ark, and God then receiving that sacrifice as a sweet aroma and beginning to speak of his covenant with Noah in response to that sacrifice. There is the blood of the covenant must be shed for the covenant to be. A second theme that becomes important and that we see especially in chapter 9 verse 11 is the idea of the seed. We saw that seed promised in Genesis 3 verse 15. We see that seed of the woman preserved here and God then making his covenant after the flood with Noah and his seed or and his descendants as Genesis 9 verse 11 says. And this, as we know, continues through the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with David, and the covenant with our Lord Jesus Christ. He is, in fact, the seed of the woman. The third main theme is that there will be no more flood. And we are still living under that promise of God today. Whether men are aware of it or not, whether they believe it or not, makes no difference in this case that every man who is alive in the world today is benefiting from this promise of God. God has said he will not again destroy all living creatures with a flood. And all men today are benefiting from that. This is one of the gifts of God's goodness to men, along with rain and sunshine and many, many other things that he gives to men in general. God shows his goodness to men in keeping this promise he made to Noah and his seed. And finally, we may notice that there are certain obligations which God laid on Noah which pertain to us also. He gave the new world that came into being by means of the flood to Noah and his family. And he gave them commands with regard to it. He said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is what we call the cultural mandate. And it goes back to Genesis chapter 1, but it also is repeated for Noah and his sons after the flood. We have the uh, obligation of not eating blood. Whether it applies today or not, it certainly applied to Noah and his sons and to Israel at the time of the covenant at Sinai. And we have finally the obligation of death for those who commit murder. So these are, these are the covenantal themes, I think, that we may kind of gather up and summarize as we look at God's covenant with Noah. But now I think we also need to look at uh, some other uh, things here in this connection. We need to look at the idea that in this covenant with Noah, God is in part anyway fulfilling his covenant with Adam. That mother promise of Genesis 3 verse 15. And he did that first of all 
in giving a victory to the seed of the woman here in the flood. There was this enormous threat to the seed of the woman prior to the flood. God saved the seed of the woman by means of the flood, by means of the destruction of the seed of the serpent. The serpent suffered a bruising, a wounding here at the hands of the seed of the woman. The serpent was defeated, not finally defeated, but nevertheless, the serpent suffered a defeat, and the serpent's seed suffered a major defeat, in fact, here in the flood. We know that it's not final because immediately after this covenant, in Genesis 9, verses 18 and following, we read about Noah's drunkenness, his sin of drunkenness, and about Uh, Canaan and Ham and God's curse on Canaan and Ham. The seed of the serpent immediately manifests itself again, and it manifests itself within Noah's own family, within the family of the seed of the woman. So the curse is not fully removed. The victory of the seed of the woman is not complete yet, but there is... Uh, nevertheless, a victory that happens here. We anticipate, then, final victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the final point which we want to make in this connection. That this whole uh, 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 complex of events connected with the flood and God's covenant makings with Noah are meant by the scriptures to point us not just to what God has done in the past and not just to God's providential work in maintaining the earth and the seasons and seed time and harvest and so on in our own time, but are meant also to point us to the future. We see this in a number of different places. First of all, we have in the Gospels Jesus' reference to the um, Noahic flood and the times preceding it. Matthew 24, verses 37 and 38. Jesus is prophesying about the end times, and he says, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. B. Jesus is saying there, what happened in the days of Noah is going to be a pattern for what will happen in the last days. God will again come suddenly to destroy the wicked world. Second Peter chapter 3 makes similar reference to the days of Noah in talking about the last days. Peter is there uh, warning the believers that scoffers will come in the last day, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? That is, uh, what evidence do you have that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again? What kind of, uh, how do you know that there is such a promise? And they deny that this promise exists because they say, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. They say, everything continues as it was from the beginning of creation. The principle of uniformitarianism according on which the whole idea of evolutionism is based. That God has not changed his operations or that the workings of natural law have not changed significantly in the creation since the very beginning. 
And Peter says, this, these are people who are walking according to their own lusts and scoffing at the promises of God. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded, flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. In other words, Peter says here in Noah's flood, we have an indication of the promise of God that he is going to destroy this world also. Not with a flood. Again, he made a promise he would never do that again, but this time with fire. And he is going to make a new heavens and a new earth. He says that in verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So Peter takes that whole um, story of the flood and he says that should point us to the future. That should uh, teach us that God is coming again. And he's going to destroy this world that now is, the world that he created in the flood. He's going to destroy it with fire, and there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And we look for that new heavens and new earth. And we find this again in Revelation 21, verse 5. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are faithful and true. So Noah points us to the future. But if we go back now into the Old Testament, we also find language in the Old Testament that uh, is prophetic of the new creation, but uses a language that's related to God's covenant with Noah. And I owe a debt here to uh, O. Palmer Robertson's book, The Christ of the Covenants, again, he points us to Hosea chapter 2. First of all, verse 18, God is here um, renewing his covenant with faithless Israel. And he's talking about betrothing her again to himself. But in verse 18, he says, in that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air, and with the creeping things of the ground. God is saying there, using language that's similar to the language of Noah's day. And he's saying, I will do this same thing over again. The covenant that I made with Noah, I'm going to do again. I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air, and with the creeping things of the ground. You also find it in 21 and 22 of that same chapter. It shall come to pass in that day that I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. The earth shall answer with grain, with new wine, and with oil. They shall answer Jezreel. Then I will sow her for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy." Notice that language of the grain, new wine, and oil. It should remind us of God's words in Genesis chapter 8, that seed time and harvest will not cease. Here it is, of course, God pointing, however, to the new creation, 
rather than simply to the creation uh, that came into being with the flood. And in the light of that, then we also have Isaiah 11, verses 6 to 9. Isaiah 11, verses 6 to 9. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now here I think what God is doing is pointing us to a difference between his new covenant, which he's talking about there, and the covenant with Noah. The covenant with Noah uh, gave the animals for food to man. Here God says, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. That's going to come to an end in this new creation. But he uses the language uh, of the Noahic covenant. And in fact, he said in Genesis chapter 9, that the animals would be afraid of man. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be on them, he said. And uh, here he says, that's not going to be the case anymore. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. And we have similar language then in Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 25. Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 25. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Notice references also to the covenant with Israel here. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner, being 100 years old, shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. References to seed time and harvest again. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble, for they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord, and their offspring with them. There you have references to the seed. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. The serpent shall will still be cursed. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. So there's Old Testament prophecy regarding the new covenant that takes language and ideas from the Noahic covenant and applies it that applies that language to the new covenant. And therefore we expect the final fulfillment of the Noahic covenant in our Lord Jesus Christ.
There are a number of ideas that we can talk about here. First of all, we have the blood of the covenant there in Genesis 8, verse 20, when Noah offers the sacrifice, and it's a sweet aroma to God. That blood of the covenant is fulfilled in the shedding of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the end of all sheddings of blood. There is no more shedding of blood for the covenant after the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. His blood is the once and perfect sacrifice for all sin. Secondly, we find in our Lord Jesus Christ the fulfillment of the seed of the promise. He is the seed of the woman who bruises the head of the serpent who destroys the seed of the serpent in his coming again, who gives final and complete victory to the seed of the woman. Thirdly, again, this is uh, an idea that comes from O. Palmer Robertson's book, Christ in the Covenants. We have a reference to the rainbow in connection with the new covenant. Revelation chapter 4, verse 3. John here has a vision of Christ on his throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. And that rainbow, I think, signifies the perpetuity of that uh, throne of Christ. That throne will never be cast down. It is founded on righteousness. It is founded on the righteousness of God. In the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ, that throne cannot be destroyed forever and ever. In the fourth place, in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter takes the water of the flood as a sign of baptism. We have to begin there with verse 19 of the chapter, where Peter says, he went, that is the Spirit went, and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine suffering, long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. So the, the flood of Noah's day not only destroyed the wicked world, but saved the eight souls of Noah's family. There is also, then, Peter says, an antitype which now saves us. Baptism not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. The waters of Noah's flood are a type of baptism. Baptism which washes away the filth of our sins as the waters of Noah, Noah's day washed away the filth of the sins of the world of his day. That water of baptism, that water of the flood is a sign of the water of baptism or of actually, as Peter says here, of the real baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. This uh, Covenant with Noah is fulfilled also in the new creation, as 2 Peter 3 emphasizes particularly. God uh, is going to make another creation, a creation that will be uh, completely free from the power of sin and death, a creation in which life and righteousness and peace will prevail. 
And he is going to give that new creation to the seed of the woman, to Christ and those who are in him, Jews and Gentiles alike. And finally, there will be in that new creation perfect rest for the people of God. Rest from the toil of their work, rest from sin, rest from the enemies that they have here in this world, and perfect and full fellowship with God in Christ. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. And in Revelation 14, verse uh, 13, this, then I heard from heaven saying to me, and then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. There is rest promised to us. Rest from the toil of our work. Rest from our sins. Rest from our enemies. Perfect fellowship with God in Christ in that new heavens and new earth. May God bless you with his word.